I'm your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep. So I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Today on Anatomy of a Movie, we're talking about Alfonso Cuaron's semi-autobiographical film, Roma. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Hello, moviegoers. Welcome back to Popcorn Talk Network. We are here talking Roma for Anatomy of a Movie show. I'm your host, Marissa Serafini. Joining me, I have... Mina Wahab. Hello, Mina. It's us two once again. Look at that. Uh, yeah, we're talking Alfonso Caron's Roma, semi-autobiographical, which is actually very interesting once, you know, I did the research for this film. Mm-hmm. And uh, beautiful cinematography and all that, and we're definitely going to get into it. But before we do, obviously, we have a few quick housekeeping notes for all you listeners and viewers at home or wherever you are listening to us. Uh, if we are definitely very spoiler-filled in this movie, so we're going to be talking all about it. If you haven't seen the film yet, pause us, go watch the movie, and then unpause us, and then listen to our review. And then in the description below, there's a PDF link. If you click that, it has all of our notes of all the production notes that we're going to be covering in the film, stuff that uh, we're, we're definitely going to talk about in depth, and if we don't cover it, it's all in the notes for you so you can uh, follow along the conversation as well all right let's get into it what were your thoughts about roma quick thoughts initially um i tried watching it three times first two times fell asleep yeah and i just i don't know what it is about the movie i just couldn't get through it i was it made me so sleepy but then after i did a little bit of research and i realized okay this is semi-autobiographical um this was dedicated to lebo then I was like, okay, this interests me more now. Let me try it one last time. And then I watched it in its entirety. And I actually really liked it. Um, the thing that made it so hard to get through initially was the fact that I was like, okay, where is this movie going? It's not plot driven. It's not character driven. It's essentially a slice of life story. Mm-hmm. And that's why it was such a different format than what I'm used to when watching a film that I didn't know what to expect. So Then when I realized, okay, this is a slice of life story, I could really enjoy it and be like, okay, I feel like I'm living with this family now. I feel like I'm kind of going along with their adventure. And then I became more invested in the characters as a result. So that's why I ended up liking it so much, was it was so authentic. It was so real and raw. Yeah, agreed. It took me twice to watch this film. I first watched it back, you know, like two months ago. Um, from, you know, now that we're covering this. So the first time, I was not sold the first time. I remember liking the second half of the film more than the first. Mm-hmm. And then I had to rewatch it again for this discussion. And overall, there were some elements of the first half that I enjoyed more than I did the first time. Mm-hmm. And it it does take the average viewer a couple times to watch it. Um, it if you are, like, a true cinephile, you can sit it and enjoy it all in one sitting but it is a very slow paced film there's a lot of moments that are 
like realize fully realized in real time we're watching and for the average viewer who's like normal who's conditioned to editing and pacing on a faster note not really watching and um like witnessing things happening in real time before you you're gonna Mm -hmm. lose it your attention watching this film so i understand why it took you three times took me twice to fully get into but i appreciated everything after Mm -hmm. now giving it a second chance and i actually the first time i watched this i watched this with um another fellow popcorn talk and after buzz uh, alum here is uh, Jeffrey Graham, who also watched this film. Jeff, what were your thoughts about this? I did. I agree with you guys. I mean, I feel like my experience of viewing the film was very similar to yours. Um, I love story-driven, kind of dialogue-heavy movies. That's kind of my taste in film. That being said, I do think Rome is a beautiful picture. I understand why people are giving it the acclaim that they are. To me, though, Roma has three or four incredibly stunning scenes. There were moments in this film that I felt myself incredibly moved but I found that the ultimate experience of the film is much less than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. I think there's some movies that you go see, and when you finish it, the movie feels like more than the sum of its parts, where it kind of comes together in this beautiful way that takes you by surprise. I think Roma has some really stunning moments, but it doesn't add up to quite what I think it wants to add up to for me, um, especially compared to what a lot of critics are saying about the film. So I get the hype around it. It just fell a little short for me, and that might have been an expectations problem for me going into it. Right. I mean, I kind of uh, agree with that also because there were some moments visually fantastic, executed, mm-hmm. and, and, and like basically flawless. And just in the normal cinematography and directing standpoint, when you watch a film, beautifully done. Um, but there are other moments that also captivated me, whether it became uh, acting and the emotional aspect that I got involved and more emotionally connected to. Um, and we'll definitely get into this moment. So, But it wasn't consistent all throughout there were moments that were better acting and moments that were just better visually to watch Mm -hmm. and but not all of it was equal on par with each other throughout the entire film right yeah so i I felt it was inconsistent here and there and a a great film should captivate you entirely (laughs) i i feel that way a little bit too that's the only reason why i hesitate to say that i loved it i thought it was strong but A lot of the film critics' reviews are like, this is the best movie I've ever seen, and wow. And for me, I'm like, okay, like this is a good movie. It's solid, but 10 Oscar noms? That's a lot. I mean, I don't want to get into the Oscar nominations just yet, but do you think that's because there's a lot of bias behind that? Because the people who are making these positive statements about it are personal friends of, of Alfonso Cuaron, who are in the industry. I think, well, I think they genuinely loved it, though, because it's so different from anything we've seen. We haven't really seen a slice of life story like this. I think there was something, there was some, there was boyhood a couple of years back, Mm -hmm. Um, but this was just felt so like, it it felt real, but like I said, it could have been edited down. I said this behind the scenes, it felt like watching a a live Twitch stream or something (laughs) where things are just happening on screen and you don't really know what to expect and you're following them along on their journey right and the the story because there really is no solid storyline like from point a to point b you're just watching people not knowing uh like where it's actually heading throughout mm-hmm. and this is a two hour and 15 minute film that felt like a four hour and 15 minute film it genuinely in a good way. yeah it genuinely felt way longer than two hours and 15 minutes i 100 percent agree with that it was and it wasn't just because i like 
would rewind and then play again and then rewind. It really did feel so long. It, mm-hmm. it's And it's because the pacing, like I said, so slow. You don't know where it's headed. And it's not a normal sequence event, of events where there's a conflict and a resolution. There's just things happening to this family. And the, the part that I would say that I loved about it the most is you would think that if they're doing a slice of life story and it's Alfonso... Uh, Alfonso Cuaron's life that he would tell it from his point of view but I loved that he told it from the maid's point of view I thought that was it changed everything for us because it made her a part of the family essentially right um and it just kind of showed the differences in socioeconomic status and class and struggle and how even though her struggles were very different you would you would see like parallels between her struggle and the struggle of the matriarch of the family mm-hmm. so there was just like it was beautifully done, but it was so long. <laughs> yes, getting into it, for the development, we know that it is a semi-autobiographical story of Alphonse's actual life. Mm-hmm. And um, it's dedicated to Lebo, who is the family servant in which, you know, the center character Cleo is is based upon. Um, and I love how it is told mostly from her. She is the protagonist of the film. We're following her, literally. The... Um, in just about every shot and every scene of this film. And it's great because we do have, yes, there are so many long takes just on her and we're watching her, but we do have the real time of us audience connecting to her. So when she does go through moments of turmoil and she's crying and breaking down and especially the scene where she's worried about she's pregnant and stuff, um, that, that scene got me both times. And we do have that real time just connection to her so you, it does feel like yeah there are, the movie is slow but it does work in some aspects it gives us enough time to connect to her mm-hmm. and i think that was very well done yeah i agree with that yeah and uh it and we do see from her perspective like being kind of stuck in the middle or like where she is uh, there are a lot of times where she's brought up with the family and the whole middle class, so like when the the matriarch, the mother, is like always complimenting her and saying how much she's loved and how much the children love her, and like brings her into the like family events and going to parties and stuff. And you see, she's she's brought up in that perspective, and there's a level of respect for her. Mm-hmm. And then there are other moments where she's in trouble, where like the boy overhears and eavesdrops on the phone conversation that he shouldn't have been listening to, then immediately gets put in her place. So she's stuck in like two di- two different kind of class systems, and it's frustrating to watch. What do you think? Yeah, it's like, it's how do you compartmentalize business from personal when you have a live-in maid that's part of the family that you love so much yeah you have two but it's just like how do you how do you do that like you this movie could have totally gone in in a different direction where it just shows like like some sort of cinderella syndrome where she's being mistreated and she's not Mm -hmm. part of the family but it was interesting to see like yeah there were so many times where there was misplaced aggression um from the matriarch of the family to her where even when there was, like, dog poop in the garage, she was kind of like, like, what are you doing? Or there were so many times she was scolded and told, like, well, like don't you have something to do right now? Mm-hmm. And then other times where you just notice a total switch where she's like, you expect that conversation when she's talking about how she's pregnant to go in a totally different direction. She says, are you going to fire me? 
And the mom not. goes, of course not. Like, right. let's let's fix this. Like, I'll, I'm going to make an appointment with the doctor. And, and then you see this totally different side to the mom where you're like, wow, she's going through a struggle of her own. She is so overwhelmed, even with two maids. You know, it's so much to handle emotionally. And, like, she doesn't have the capacity to emotionally take care of all the needs of all these children and the maid and make sure, like, she's taken care of as well. So it's it's a lot going on. And nothing going on simultaneously when I was watching it. No, great. I feel like Senora uh, Sofia, that was the mother, um, she was very inconsistent. You can't tell if she, not to say she's like a villain per se, but like the, she had her moments where she was very good at nurturing mm-hmm. towards her, her kids, towards the maids. And then there were moments where she would just snap and be and had no tolerance for anybody and i think it was more more of the moments when she was shorter with people was whenever she was having a conflict immediately with her husband mm-hmm. at the time and that's when and we know that was a tumultuous little relationship and when that was going wrong then she would snap and misplace like you said misplace anger towards other people who didn't deserve it yeah right. that's, that was one of my favorite things about the film if i could hop in was i think it really does very subtly kind of um, demonstrate how cycles of abuse work and, like, mm-hmm. how behavior like that is propagated through different people. And I think, like, even though it's not my favorite thing about the film, really what the movie is about is the fact that, like, this patriarchal society will do anything it can to put women in a subjugated place. So I think Sophia's inconsistent behavior with um, Cleo was one of the most interesting and subtly realized parts of the film that when we talk about, like, a slice-of-life movie... That was what I think was really, really working in the movie was how the movie didn't decide how Cleo should be treated. It varied from scene to scene in a way that was completely realistic and believable. Mm-hmm. And that's realistic when it comes to emotions, too. Mm-hmm. Because just in an, an average general day, one person can go through so many different emotions in the span of hours. Mm-hmm. So, and like, and I believe it, like, there, there's a moment where she's happy and nurturing and a moment where she's upset and angry and short with people. Um, but I think that's what mothers go through. Yeah, and she takes it out in different ways. Like, yeah. there's a point in the movie where she has no regard. Like, she's just over it, and she bangs the car through the garage. She doesn't care about having it perfectly fit in. She's like, F this, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Another time she comes home drunk, and she's like, you know what? Like, she's trying to level with, you know, the the lady who plays Lebo. Um, mm-hmm. And she's like, you know what? men will never care about us anyway. Like, we're kind of, like, screwed yeah. as as a gender, as a as a species, whatever. And you just see her go through, like, this, this range of up and downs where you're kind of, like, in awe that she can hold all of this together and tell her children to write a card to their dad, mm-hmm. even though she knows what's happening. And you're just like, wow, how does she keep it all together? And then over the course of the movie, we see her kind of losing it. Like, she can't keep this facade anymore. But she does such a great job with her kids overall that I was just like, wow, women, mothers, we are truly superheroes. Yeah. And, like, and you appreciate her because you see those moments where she for so long throughout the film she was trying to hide all this from the kids just for their own you know protection Mm -hmm. and like i appreciate just that mother aspect and then when she does finally break the news to the kids and all the kids are crying like you just want to hug the kids but she was the great mother in that aspect and he's like no this is what it is your father still loves you or he's just not coming back and that's just heartbreaking Mm -hmm. for any situation um that was the part I would say one of the most emotional scenes in the entire movie where my heart 
was just in knots because we don't like we see the kids being kids the whole movie and then we see the part where there's like this transition where this is them realizing something very real and that innocence is taken away mm-hmm. from this horrible thing that's happening to them. Yeah, and these are lovable kids, too. They're so lovable. And they're so funny and you see how they they love their mother, they love Cleo, and there's really not one dislikable kid. This mm-hmm. is it, this is a loving family that's very close to each other and so when you see them, you know, in pain, you just want to hug them. You really do. And like they don't deserve a deadbeat dad like the way that they don't you know they had um going into just like the the patriarchy the father who we only see for like maybe two minutes yeah and then he comes back again later we see more of his car than (laughs) than the actual father figure but um and that was a very smart move by the way on alfonso Cuaron's part because it kind of shows like he's unknown like kind of almost like he's relevant to the story but Mm -hmm. he's not relevant like he's out of the picture so even the scene where he's coming in with his car and it's one of the very first scenes they're like papa papa Mm -hmm. and he's just like smoking the cigarette and it's such a beautifully cinematic scene and we're kind of like who is this guy like what are we going to expect is he going to be like a brutal father is he going to be loving is he going to be this and then we see how much the kids love him but it's just our expectations are always subverted Right. I feel like. And I think that the whole parking of the car scene near the beginning of the film, we spent literally three full minutes watching him take so much time, like really putting effort into parking his car and not putting a scratch on it. Three full real minutes. And like on film, that's a long time. So we see that his, the father cares more about his his personal life, his personal items, like his car, his job, books. Books. Like, he cares about himself, his stuff, more than he actually cares about his kids. And that's that's really painful. That's such a beautiful way it. that you put it, Marissa. Like, just thinking about it in terms of the time allocated for mm-hmm. that one scene. You're just like, why is this scene so long? And then at the end of the movie, we're kind of like, okay, it makes sense why Alfonso did things the way he did them to place an emphasis on... What's important. And also, like, and his perception. Not. This is probably his perception of his father. Like, wow, right. care about this? Okay. Yeah, and just you know, we're we're definitely gonna get into Cleo's man's story too. But it, the interesting thing that I noticed of this film, there are two men in this film that like oh, big storylines happen, but yet we hardly see these men for not more than five minutes on mm-hmm. screen. Yeah, but they play such a big part, and their presence is so big that it affects them throughout this entire film. Especially the father, we see him for maybe two minutes on screen, and then. It, he like we, we see offside conversations and how it affects the mother, how it affects the kids, until the end of the film. Mm-hmm. And then like, getting into Cleo's man, uh, Fermin. What were your thoughts of Fermin? Yeah, uh, Fermin. You know, we got this stereotypically macho man, and it's just like showing this machismo culture in such an interesting way, where you're spending so long of a scene with him fully naked Mm -hmm. demonstrating his martial arts skills and how he's changed as a man and that was our initial introduction to him and in that intro we're kind of like oh this this guy like maybe he is like a good solid guy like I didn't really know what to expect and then we see the scene where she tells him that she's pregnant and we're like oh he's so loving he's taking it so well like I didn't expect him to leave and then and and then we're just like this isn't adding up and then we finally seen see the last scene of him training and doing the martial arts and we're like oh is he going to like 
own up to what he's doing, like, what's going to happen. And then he, he does the thing that a lot of guys do, like, oh, I was busy. Oh, that's why I didn't return your... Uh, like get back to you. I was busy. I've been really busy training. I'm a new person. I'm doing martial arts. And then he goes off on her and, and with the crassest language says that he will mess her up and do all these things to her if she ever admits that that child is his. And we almost her. physically. Yeah. Beat her. And, and we almost fear for her life in that the last time we ever see him where he doesn't really speak, but he points a gun at her belly, her fully pregnant belly Mm -hmm. and we're just like what is he gonna do this guy is such a loose cannon so we see this weird trajectory of his character from beginning to end where we're like oh maybe he is a changed man he seems like a solid guy oh he's handling it well oh no stereotypical male douchebag like what yeah and I think that's very unfair for us to say stereotypical, but because we we are the females on this panel. But it, it does show that the, the men, particularly in this film, are not the greatest people. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the women have been wronged by these men, and it's it's really frustrating where we get um, just this notion of rejection from both of them. Like the father didn't uh, like rejected his own family. Fairman rejected Cleo and and completely denied this baby. And you don't know, you, you feel for, uh, for Cleo because she's, she's just there and trying to get his attention and get his support. There is the line where, um, I believe the mother is actually saying like he hasn't given her any money, any support, like any finances to support this baby, and it's been months now that like he he's literally non-existent in her life, mm-hmm. and just from a woman feeling for another woman that you never want to be pregnant by someone's you know from someone's baby and they're not in the picture to help raise this child. Yeah. I have a quick question about Fermin for you guys. One thing that this movie did that was very atypical, Mina, you mentioned it, was there was this fully extended, full frontal male nude scene. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, as a guy, I'm so used to getting long extended female nude scenes to try to play to our audience and, you know, sell tickets. But how did how did you guys react to that scene? Is that, like, did you guys view that as, I don't know, I'd just be curious. Hear, from, from a female perspective, how did you guys react to that extended scene? Because it's a big choice. At first, I was kind of shocked that that would be on a platform like Netflix where kids could access it. And I was just like, I was surprised to see something that was like full nudity that I know the film is rated R, but it's accessible by pretty much everyone. Mm -hmm. And I I was shocked by that. Um, And we you're right. We don't see any male nude scenes. This is like the first time we see a male nude scene. It's very rare. Other than other than like Apocalypto, it kind of reminded me of Apocalypto a little bit in the sense that this wasn't sexualized, but it was just kind of showing that he was so confident in his own skin and his own body in showing off and. In a way, like, he just thought he was such a man. Like, oh, here he is naked performing for her before they're about to be intimate. And I don't think she really cares. She's just kind of, like, sitting there like, okay, now what? Like, what are you... Like, she doesn't seem to be very impressed by him. But he is so passionate about this. And I think it shows, like, wow, this is what men thought it meant to be a man back then. And Mm -hmm. sometimes some men today still feel that way. But it just really, like, it, it was... It didn't show vulnerability, in in my opinion. It showed, wow, so much arrogance. Mm-hmm. So much. No, I agree. There's arrogance and cockiness in his own skin. 
No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, literally. And and I'm gonna it didn't bother me, but it, like I mean it took me a second, like, oh, okay. But it, it does show that he 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 really didn't care. He only cared about himself. Mm-hmm. He didn't care about her. He he cared about his his self, his body, um, like the way because he said he was like reformed his body and his mind to to be a better man. And I think he he was he believed in his his image more than Cleo, more than this baby. And what else? The other thing that I think is fascinating on on this topic is that here we have two men both the dad of the family and uh, Fermin, who mm-hmm. clearly cl- uh, care only about themselves, but it's demonstrated in such different ways, and it's also portrayed through such different personalities. The dad is more subdued and quiet and reserved, and Fermin is very much like, I'm a man, let me beat my chest, let me expose myself fully to you, and the dad is more like, the shots of him aren't even exposed. Like, we don't really see his face in the first scene. Everything is hidden. We see the cigarettes. And we see signs that he's been somewhere without fully seeing him. We see that the bookshelves are gone. We see mm-hmm. that everything's gone. So it's interesting that Alfonso would show this, like, would portray this theme of, like, okay, men are selfish in this world, but in two entirely different ways with two entirely different character arcs. I just thought that was really fascinating and well done on his end. Yeah, and I like it how it shows that w- one was more like uh, more timid, more introverted, and another was more extroverted. Right. And But we still got the same result in the end, no matter how, any way you spin it. it the, abandonment. It, there was st- yeah, abandonment and rejection. And a total unraveling of the family unit, in a sense. But then, at the same time, the silver lining is, like, women supporting women and coming together as a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for a man. Uh, like, just to see the the one moment where she finally, like, when they're in the movie theater, and she announces that, you know, she thinks she's pregnant. And he's still loving up until that point, quote-unquote loving. Um, Lincoln, you know, kisses her and intimate with her. And then he walks away, and you never see him come back. And that was the moment I was like, "No, he he's gone." Like the, you knew that was going to be an issue, and you just, I just feel for women in that sense because maybe because I personally have witnessed other women go through pregnancy by themselves because the mm-hmm. man left. Um, Who's worse? Situations. Who do you think is worse, for me or the dad? In this situation, it's hard. I think it, we see more for me in this movie physically. Um, I. He he bothered me more because we saw him actually yell at Cleo when she doesn't deserve it. We saw him threaten her twice, vis- um, visually with a gun, um, so, like, just killing. And then also with words. It's like, I'm going to physically beat you. So, like, he's more violent, where I don't feel the father was violent mm-hmm. in, in that sense. I don't think he would actually hurt the kids physically. Right. But I... Like, I believe for a man would. Yeah, 100%. So I was more afraid of him. It's so interesting that he's in this martial art class that is supposed to have some sort of spiritual awakening and mental enlightenment. And then we see, wow, that's not doing he's any like of that for him. the most angriest person. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did like the moment where uh, the, the instructor was telling them to do this pose. <laughs> yeah. And Cleo was the only one physically capable of doing it. Did you try doing it? 
No, I didn't, but yeah. I was watching it. I was like, look at Cleo. All right, girl. I see you. Um, yeah, she pulled it off. And we're, no one else, out of hundreds of people that were in that shot, no one else could do it. But Cleo was the only person physically capable of doing it. She's so the only it, one who's enlightened. Her, and it shows that, like, she, not in a way, but, like, she is better and she is capable of doing things. Mm-hmm. Where other people aren't. So, like, you just kind of root for her where, you know, it's I mean, something so simple and she can, yeah. she can pull it off. And you don't have to be no a man who's gone through so much training to, to do this. Right. You could just be a strong, independent Standing woman. Foot, it's not that hard. Yeah. People. <laughs> People. Just saying. Um, I want to get a little bit into the directing because this is Alfonso Caron's baby. He's been wanting to do this ever since, really, the beginning of his career. But he finally mm-hmm. started putting things in motion back in 2006. And, well, he was talking about it back in 2006. And he really just wanted to get the perspective of back, like, recovering his memories, basically, from when he was a child. Basically, um, the, the kid, uh, Tonio, is is Alfonso Cuaron, like, in, in human Oh, form, was like, it Tonio? I kept yeah. wondering if it's Pepe, if it's Tonio, because Pepe, like, we fell in love with Pepe. Yeah, Pepe was sweet. Oh, he's so cute. Um, and then Tonio but, is the one who cries, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, really, uh, Tonio is the the physical representation of Cuaron, mm-hmm. um, basically. And uh, so, so what are your thoughts of, A, first, doing, like, a semigraph semi-biographical storyline from story from like a time about 50 plus years ago now like and Cuaron trying to execute that I feel like now is the perfect time for him to do it because he has credibility you know he's made so many great movies um and it's like it's hard to do a movie like this when you're not known as a director but when you have like this huge filmography of things you've directed it's easier to get something like this off the ground And I think he did a great job in the sense that it's very hard to make something autobiographical feel real. Like, we have so many movies where it's either biographical, semi-autobiographical, and it feels like one of those, like, very, like, over-the-top cinematic inspirational movies. This felt so raw and real, and I think it's because of all of the little touches he did of, you know, not really using a ton of actors in the film, but Mm -hmm. using real-life people, even with the hospital scene like having them be real doctors, having the lead be someone who wasn't even an actress, who had no prior acting experience. Like, what? I believe that's what you called street casting. Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong. Street casting is when you literally pluck actors um, out of obscurity. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. In yeah. this case, it was a little different, though, because her sister, who was an actress, auditioned. Yeah. Um, so I think street casting would be more like when, oh, with the doctors, that would be street casting. With Cleo's, it would be a little different, but still, I can't believe what an unbelievably nuanced and incredible performance Yalitia Apricio gave, considering she had no acting experience. Mm-hmm. You've got to credit Alfonso Cuaron as a director there, because she truly gave, I think, one of the best and one of my favorite performances of last year. Yeah, and I definitely connected to her character, to, to Cleo. I felt for her in all the situations she was in. Mm-hmm. Um, when she was delivering news, when she was pregnant, when she was going from place to place to place and like mm-hmm. witnessing other people's lives. like she, she was literally everywhere, and all the emotions she was feeling, I felt it too. I felt for her. It's and like how he directed so it. Like, there, there's so many scenes with her walking somewhere where the scene takes forever, 
and it just makes you feel like you're walking with her, you're going with her, you're feeling like that, that feeling of, wow, time is just moving forward in the slowest way possible. How must it have felt for her then? But for me, like, I know, like, everyone probably empathized with her the most. For me, I felt like I empathized with Sophia's character, the the, the mom. Mother. Yeah, it was just, like, her performance was just so, it was so authentic to me. It just, it felt, um, it just felt so real, the, the changing moods and, like, trying to keep everything together and create this facade of a happy marriage that everything would be okay and then her falling apart and then picking herself back up. Like, her performance was just so beautiful. Her character... Like, I related to her character the most. Yeah, interesting. I felt for Cleo the most. And just to go back to correct myself, it was Paco. Paco is the representation of Alfonso Crow. Oh, Paco? Yeah, was Paco. Paco. So Paco I was, was the one I who was, was reading, crying then? rereading my okay. notes. It, it's Paco is the representation of Alfonso Crow. Interesting. There, there, there are a lot of children in this I film. have to go back and figure out which one Paco yeah, was Paco. then. Yeah. Um, but, the, and I liked how there was, a, like, just watching it again twice uh, like there are moments that build up in the first part of the film that pay off in the second half um like it, there's a lot of foreshadowing moments where, where you see the kids near the beginning with playing with guns playing with, yeah and i jeff i was with you and i remember saying something out loud i was like that's gonna be <laughs> big that's gonna you know play a big part and sure enough that like an hour later, we see the whole raid scene, uh, yeah. which is actually what happened in Mexico. And I, I thought with there guns. was... I, I misjudged what would happen because I thought there was foreshadowing in the beginning where we see um, the, the maid saying, I'm dead, isn't it nice to be dead? And she's just, like, lying down looking up, and I'm like, is this going to be the end scene, too? Her lying down looking up? Is it going to be like that? She better not and die. Then, and then that doesn't happen, and I'm just like, oh, okay, like, good, but... I thought that something like that would happen. And then I thought, again, with the kids drowning, I was like, when he says, I'm dead, I thought it would be the same thing again. And no, it didn't happen. But there's so many scares and so much tension and suspense. But I'm glad it wasn't one of those, like, you know, let's just put in a really dramatic, sad ending so that this can get Oscars. It was very realistic and slice of life. And we didn't need to have the unnecessary death, so we didn't. No. And I'm glad we didn't. I mean, like, we did have a death. Um, a sad death. It was, unfortunately, the baby was a stillborn. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts of how this whole scene just unfolded oh. before our eyes? That was so heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking, but my emotions were so mixed because I was like, wait, but she didn't want the baby. But, oh, biologically and hormonally, that is so traumatic to have something growing inside of you and then losing it. And I think... It wasn't also until during stress. Yeah, during it was, it was under duress. Yeah, under a ton of stress during a raid. And it's like, yeah, he didn't. Uh, Fermin didn't shoot her in the stomach, but just like physically being in that situation and then losing your baby after, and you're just like panicking, and your your water breaks during something like that, and you're you're rushing over there to the hospital and. Keep in mind, this isn't like modern medicine. This is the 1970s, yeah, so yeah. It, in in Mexico, and and they were you go stuck and in traffic you for see, hours. You see the doctor, and he ends up being the dad, and we're just like, "What is happening? Like, how is everything so full circle?" Um, but the part that killed me the most, I think, the hardest part wasn't when she was looking over to make sure her baby was breathing, but when she finally realized, no, it's dead, but let me bond with it and say goodbye to her. Ugh. And she's just, like, holding her, and it's a stillborn, and 
Oh, I cried. I could not. That was a very, very powerful scene. No, this yeah, this was a moment where it got me. Um, I was so impressed by the way the camera just held. You know, like mm-hmm. I think directorially, the choice to just literally set the camera up. It's a stationary shot. And we are eavesdropping. You know, we're voyeurs in this scene, watching one of the most painful moments of her life. This is an example. Again, I I think the movie falls short in certain components, but this scene is one of the best of the year for me. And everything about it was just so incredibly moving and naturalistic and just, I mean, beautiful in the sense of artfully crafted, you know? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And we see so many long, real-time shots throughout this entire film. We see people walking from one end of the town to another in real time. You're like, you know, editing. Come on, you guys. But this was a scene where I felt it actually could have been longer. I felt like they could have held... She could have held her baby even longer. She held the baby for maybe 20 seconds. I think and I was like, yeah. And I remember when they when they took the baby away, and I just remember thinking, I was like, that's it? We watch someone park a car for three minutes, but she can't <laughs> hold her her stillborn baby for three minutes? You know, it's it was very painful in that sense. And it felt super intentional. It felt like, oh, we're, there's such a loss of power here. Things are happening to her. She she lost her baby. I know she didn't want it in the first place, but to still lose it is so traumatic. And for it to be taken away from her that quickly, and she's so it's been living in there for nine months, and then it's like, oh, that's it. We're done here. Twenty seconds. I, I've over been in 20 seconds. I've been with her for this long, like making sure she's okay, like trying to figure out what I want to do, and now she's just taken away from me like that. Like, how does life change in a second? And that's so evident in so many other scenes of this film where everything's fine. Then there's a protest. Then someone dies. And it's not like a gradual, like, oh, someone's dying slowly. It's like, no, everything's taken away in an instant. Mm -hmm. It's crazy, but that's life. And that's why this is such a realistic slice of life story. And I think that also, like, emotionally, you, you felt the turmoil there. And I think this was probably definitely the moment that got her Oscar nominated. Because it also reminded me, if you guys have ever seen the movie Junebug, um, 2006, Amy Adams. This is where she got her first Academy Award nomination mm. for a very similar scene. Spoiler, if you haven't seen that film, she loses her baby, too. And she breaks down. Um in the hospital, which definitely, if you've ever seen that film, that definitely, that performance of her reacting to, um, you know, a, a loss um, at, the, at the hospital, that got her Academy Award nominated for the first time. And this movie, this scene, definitely reflected that. It, it had the same emotional beats that, you know, we feel for her, like any loss of a child. And this, I'd have to say, this was probably the moment where they, they gave her the nomination. Very well deserved. It's very earned. Yeah. Very yeah. Earned. And it's not her, the only scene that was super, like, intense. We have the beach scene later on, and we're just like... Yeah, let, let's get uh, into, the, into the beach scene where, and I, like, it really wraps up um, just, you know, the loss of the stillborn child. And because, first of all, gorgeous. We'll, we'll get into cinematography before we go. But uh, the... The the long tracking shot and talking about different emotions where it because it is it does run so long that the kids are having fun there and it's nice and bright and two minutes later within the same shot now there's turmoil there's there's jeopardy there's danger so a lot of the the ups and downs literally of emotions with the the ebbs and flows of the waves but then we see when Cleo actually saves these children 
and brings them back to the beach, and she realized I didn't want my baby, I didn't want her to be born. Mm-hmm. And the whole breakdown, like, this is where, like, again, I lost it. Um, your thoughts of this, that moment? Just, it shows how complex these feelings are, that it's not just trauma, it's guilt. Like, you feel like you brought something into fruition because you this is something that you wanted or didn't want so badly, and then it happens and you just feel guilt like, am I a bad person? Mm-hmm. Is that why this is happening to me? But I got what I wanted. How come I'm unhappy? It's just so many complex emotions going on. And, I mean, I think usually we don't care about characters in movies like Maids or, uh, you know, The Help or Servants. or We don't care about these people. And here we have a movie where she's the central figure of the movie and we care about her so much. We care about her well-being so much. She's not just another statistic. This isn't just another loss of life. This is someone that we care about. We see how vital she is to this family, Mm -hmm. how her role affects everything else. Without her, maybe one of the two of the kids would have died. Without Mm -hmm. her, maybe this family would fall apart. Without her, how many other things would be affected? Like, we, we see that It's not just status, like people are people and everyone has an important role in keeping something together. If someone is gone, it it could affect everything. So I think that was an underlying message there. Like this woman was so important to Alfonso Cuaron and he wanted to dedicate this entire film, like what he calls one of the most important pieces he's ever made in his life Mm -hmm. to this woman. Yeah. Who helped raise everyone. And I think this scene was also heartbreaking, too, in the metaphorical sense that, like, <laughs> she, and, and just the irony that she can save someone else's children, but she couldn't save her own. Mm-hmm. And that's heartbreaking when you think about it, too. But it shows that she cares more about, well, it's not to say she didn't care about her own child, but, like, she cares about this family so much that she was willing to risk her own life because she doesn't know how to swim. Also, in real life, she doesn't know how to swim. That she waded out into the depths of the waters, almost risking her own life to save these children. And But it just shows like how, how much they mean to her and how much she means to them. Mm-hmm. And even when they go back home after the scene, the children are still raving about her. It's like, Cleo saved us, Cleo saved us. And it just shows that she really is part of that family. No matter, and like when you think of it, just in retrospect, for all the moments where she is put in her place by Senora um, Sophia, that like it's really, it's out of love. It's not out of like this is where you stand. This is just like you are part of the family. Like you, you know how you yell at people. Yeah, it's, but you're it's still out of love. And it's also it shows that there is a specific level of comfort and closeness because you wouldn't do that with an acquaintance. No. So she's part of the family. Like when the person yells at her, she knows that she's not going to lose her. That she's family. She's like blood in a sense. And there were so many cute other touches. I don't want to go too off topic, but just with right. the kids like reassuring her when she was sad and had a tummy ache, but oh. it was really she was pregnant, and she's like. And and Pepe is like, no, like, oh, why are you sad? Don't be sad. And he just goes and hugs her. And it just shows the innocence of children. And children Mm -hmm. are so beautiful. They know when something's wrong. But they they have, like, this innocence about them where they just want to make people feel better. Mm -hmm. So I just, I was very touched by the movie. Um, I wouldn't say it's the best movie I've ever seen, but I did really enjoy it. And I thought it was very different from any movie I've ever seen. Yeah, I was definitely touched by her performances for those moments. When she announced her her pregnancy to this to the matriarch, 
to when she lost the child to when she admitted she didn't even want the child in the first place. Like, those three moments of throughout her pregnancy, like, it really, just as an actress, for a first-time actress, mm-hmm. like, wow. Pretty Amazing. unbelievable. Amazing. Yeah. So, we, we'd definitely be remiss if we didn't talk about the cinematography for this film, because gorgeous all around i mean a lot of long real-time slow pans or tilts up here and there but a lot more like panning from left to right but what Mm -hmm. were your thoughts of the just the general scope in the landscape and seeing mexico because they shot on location but just seeing the whole world of aroma yeah i like i said everything felt so real we see every detail we see vendors selling food in the streets we hear the noises it's almost like we're there even with the way the camera pans, we're following, you know, the maid on her adventures. We're we're in the thick of things. We're right there. We're not just, like, observing. I, I know we're, it's very voyeuristic because it's like we have a bird's eye view. But it, right. it, for to me, it felt like I was part of that family. I felt like I was in there. Like, we see the dog and the birds and, like, all these little touches where I just feel like, okay, like, I feel like I'm here with them. Like, I get it. I totally get what this family is about. And that's really hard to do, to be connected to characters when there's no clear plot. But I was very connected to the characters. Yeah, and I felt like I knew their world. Like, I knew the house. Um, definitely, like, the rooms that they were in, the different personalities, and the the differences from what the house looked like at the beginning of the first opening shots to, to the end, um, where it's, like, a little bit more cleaner, more organized, because the father is now gone. But just, like, you, you get the personalities of everybody um, no matter what scene it is, like it, it, when it shows the world, when they go to the martial arts place, it, it, there's just like different personalities in every scene um, that play and reflect the emotion that we're supposed to be feeling as an audience. Mm-hmm. And I think it was beautiful. And it was in black and white, so it made it look even more simplistic, but beautiful. Just seeing the world and all the tracking shots. I mean, definitely check out our notes because we, unfortunately, we can't cover it all. But that whole hospital delivery scene was done in one take yeah can you believe that yeah and she didn't know that she would lose the baby like he didn't tell her that he kind of switched things up and Mm -hmm. would like do one thing and then give them like the wrong message so that the performance would be more authentic and i feel like that definitely showed yeah and i think that's a great directing choice of alfonso Cuarón. he purposely didn't tell his actors um, like certain things in the script, not one person got a full script, mm-hmm. and even the direction notes that he gave to one actor would be co- completely contradictory to the another actor in the exact same scene. So they would play off each other in real, real emotions. So to not know that she was actually going to lose the baby, that I mean, that's that's like even more genuine performance. Mm-hmm. She's living it in the moment. She's not. She's not anticipating because I think the whole thing with acting it's not about anticipating it's about reacting it's about being in the moment yeah and i I think it was beautiful like in in that sense because also the the editor um adam go who also edited this with alfonso um he didn't he finally read the script fully until the whole movie was shot Mm -hmm. so like even the production crew didn't know the entire story yeah. While filming, which is, like, such a hard thing to do because everyone should be on the same page when you're trying to make a film. Well, they also shot in sequence, which is really interesting. Yeah, chronologically. Um, yeah, so it's so bizarre. rare. Especially yeah. with locations, they're returning to, you know, so it's it's the kind of privilege that only a director of Quaron's, um 
what's the word I'm looking for? Status, stature. Stat, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Stature is exactly the word I was looking for. Um, has access to, but because it makes me happy he made this film in this stage of his career because he was allowed those extra privileges that really, I think, make the movie special. Yeah, and I think it, it definitely helps Curran to have so many reputable movies under his belt now that people can give him the time and respect and the money and attention mm-hmm. for him to do now a passion film. Yeah. This was a passion project. Then he can put gravity into his movie. <laughs> yeah, literally. Literally. Um, what are your thoughts of the whole water shot? Um, we see it at the beginning of the film with the, the whole washing of, you know, all the dog poop away. But then we also see we see it at the end. It kind of bookends um, the film and even with the, the waves. But the whole metaphor of just water and, like, the washing uh, away of memories and cleansing and, and all that. Um, I kept thinking when I first watched the movie and I was trying to get through it, I was like, why are they, like, there's a reason that they're having this super long scene in the beginning and why, like, this feels like an end scene. This does not feel like an opening scene. (laughs) You see something similar again at the end, but I think there are a lot of reasons that happened. I think the reason we see the scene is so that we get a glimpse into the maid's life. It's showing like, oh, we're opening with her world her doing this tedious task over and over again and doing it so meticulously, not just doing it like a sloppy job, but like really getting every last bit out of there, like really working hard. And we're like, okay, there's like loyalty there. She's cleaning, she's doing her job. And I think also like as much as you try to wash some things away, some things never come out. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't fully wash something out without soap. It, it won't fully be cleansed. As much as you try to scrub and scrape away, it's kind of like how there are still scars, there there's still trauma there, even though water is so therapeutic mm-hmm. and cleansing. It doesn't fix everything. Yeah, and just the symbolism of water is, like, first cleansing, but also rebirth, mm-hmm. too. Um, it's like you, we see a different type of Cleo person at the end. We do. Um and I think it's just, like, starting another different life. Even though she's the same person, but it's just starting anew, really. And and, and I thought it was visually um, very well represented in this film. Um, so a little bit about just the distribution. So this was a Netflix distributed film because Caron was, like, really... Um, he he was really adamant about putting it on Netflix because he wanted a wider global audience, which Netflix has, that international audience. So what are your thoughts of putting it on Netflix? I think that's so smart, and I think it just plays to the fact that you don't have to have a theatrical release to have a good movie. And I think, in a way, he's trying to like draw more attention to platforms like Netflix, Amazon Prime, Because it's not about where it's shown, it's about people seeing it, right? How many people are going to be able to see a theatrical release? Like, this is much more convenient for people who have streaming services, and with this becoming the new norm, now it's more accessible. Right. So Netflix acquired the distribution rights for the film in spring of 2018, and the deal also included a theatrical distribution. So there is very, very limited theater releases very limited you have to be in like the metropolis cities like la Mm -hmm. new york um so very very limited and it's only reached like 3.5 million that's it just in theatrical but it's already released on netflix so anyone can watch this who has a netflix um subscription but this is the first netflix original film 
that is nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts of that? Because this is like uh, a lot of controversy within the Academy Awards because they're 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 usually so gun ho about streaming platforms being nominated. Yeah, I don't get how they were able to get that nominated and go through that loophole. I really don't get it. Calderon. Yeah. The power of Calderon. There was also a very limited release. So yeah. they'll do this with streaming movies where they'll do the obligatory theatrical release in like four cities mm-hmm. and then release it just to get that credibility. Right. Yeah, and this isn't the first time we've seen it. We, we saw Annihilation last year also had an international Netflix release. And what was the one with Mahershala Ali that was like Moonlight? two years ago? No, no, no. Oh, it different was like, one? like two years ago. That was also a Netflix Oh. It might, no, sorry. It's, I think it was Idris Elba. Sorry. Don't kill me. <laughs> um, but it the, that one got a lot of uh, attention. or a, a lot of people said that one should have been nominated. But it wasn't because it was released via Netflix. Uh, mm-hmm. Beast of No Nation. Beast of No Nation. Yep. That's the one. Thank you. Um, yeah, so, and I mean... Good for good for the Academy for like awarding Netflix, and I think this opens the door to to like future films. Yeah, and maybe on Hulu, maybe on Amazon. You know, so like I think it's thinks it's gonna have legs. For, yeah, for Roma, and it's also so. creating more competition within those streaming services to produce better and better content. So. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. No, no. So, it, I mean, so many Oscar nominations. There's 10 for Best Picture, Best Actress for Yelisa Aparicio, Best Supporting Actress for Marina de Tavira, Best Director, uh, Foreign Language Film, Best Original Screenplay, Cinematography, Sound Mixing, Production Design, and Sound Editing. I think it's good, actually going to get a lot of love because it's Karan. I think so, too. Yeah. So. I think, yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know which one is going to win. It would be crazy if she wins Best Actress for her first time in a movie. Yeah. That would be pretty incredible. Uh, we'll I see. don't think she is because I think Glenn Close is going to take it. But I think, I mean, Caron is. I mean, he he definitely brought the attention to this film. So thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, in the meantime, Mina, where can everyone keep following you? You guys can follow me on Instagram at Mina Makes Magic. I go live and do a lot of videos where I talk about movies and also my daily routine. So follow me on there. There you go. And you can follow me everywhere at Serafini TV. You can follow all of us here at The Popcorn Talk. We have covered all of the t- the best picture nominated films now. So yes. that means we're going to do an Oscar special. I am so excited for, for that. Anime, so, because we've officially covered all the pictures that are nominated. So thanks everyone for tuning in, and we will see you next time. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.